You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. If you've got a copy of God's Word, you want to go ahead and turn to John chapter 16. We are going to be doing a little bit of a lot of different places in Scripture tonight, but for your uh, benefit, I'm not going to make you do Bible trivia and turn the Bible 18,000 times tonight. So I'm going to have some of these verses up on the screen so you can see. But uh, John 16, I do want us to go through together here in just a little bit. Uh, tonight, uh, as we, we talked last week, we started talking about um, Systematic Theology 2. Tonight we're starting our pneumatology. We're going to be spending three weeks on the role of the Holy Spirit, right? Pneumatology is just a big fancy word. It just means studying the Holy Spirit. And as we mentioned, that when it comes to the role of the Holy Spirit, depending upon uh, how you grew up, what church you were in, what denomination you were in, you either heard about the Holy Spirit a lot or he was very much overlooked and neglected. And, uh, and so we want to make sure that we come back to Scripture to know what does God's Word say about who the Holy Spirit is, and, uh, and I am so very, very thankful for that. When I was um, in college, uh, one of the things before we went on a mission trip, uh, they, uh, the group that trained us wanted us to go to four different types of churches before we went on the mission field. So we went to four different types of denominations, and for a Baptist, a born and raised boy, uh, it was one of the first times I've been in some of these churches like this before. And so I was learning stuff every you know week, and it was really neat. There was kind of the churches that you would say are kind of more traditional, and they're kind of you know not a whole lot. And there were some that were more expressive, and some that would do this, and some do that. Uh, I'll never forget that. We were in a small church one time that was a lot more, I would say, charismatic, if you will. The pastor's about to wrap up and says, you know, the Lord's been doing a lot of good stuff, but I feel like this group of students over here, we just need to kind of single out what's going on. And I was like, hey, what, what, what do you mean, right? And, he, and, and basically, that, that day, they, uh, the, the pastor just said, now, obviously, it was like 12, 10 of us all sitting there together that typically aren't there. But he said, can you just tell us what's going on? We're like, we're about to go on the international mission field. He's like, we need to pray over you. Okay, right? So they, they began to pray over us. And then, so it was a beautiful moment. The, the following week, we went to a church where uh, it was very uh, liturgical. They had an order of service. You're going through this, going through this, going through this. And, and then the pastor got up there. He goes, another service is about to be over. And on our, uh, the calendar, uh, we're about to celebrate Pentecost. But today, we're just going to pray that Pentecost comes down. I was like, okay. I thought it already happened, but okay, all right, what, what do you mean? And he said, we're just going to stay here until the Holy Spirit comes. Now, the way I always understood it is that when you receive the gospel, the Holy Spirit always goes with you. It's not like he comes and leaves and whatnot. He, he walks with me, but he says, we're going to pray that he comes down right now. I said, okay. So we start praying, and I'm like, I, this is new to me, but Spirit, I, I, I thought you were here, but I want you to come again. Yeah, I, I didn't know what to pray, but I, I'm praying or whatever. And he's like, and the pastor's watching all of us. He goes, he just came. I was like, you know, I'm looking around like, what do you mean? Like, what, what just happened? Like, so I started peeking. I know you're not supposed to, but what do you mean he just came? And he's like, some of you right now, you're swaying left to right. That's the Holy Spirit. And I just like, it's just my legs are tired, man. That's what I'm thinking, okay? Like, this is what I typically do. Goes, some of you right now are feeling a warm sensation all over your body. That's the Holy Spirit. I'm sitting there going, I'm always hot natured. What's that? You know, some of you are feeling cold bumps, right? Because you have goosebumps, right? That, that, that's the Holy Spirit. I'm like, so if you're hot, you're cold, it's the Holy Spirit. If you're medium temperature, it's the Holy Spirit. He starts listing all these things, right? Over and over and over and over again, we get in the van and it's quiet. And all of a sudden, someone goes, if you're breathing right now, that's the Holy Spirit. Okay, like we just didn't know, right? It just seemed like, okay, what? Is, like, who is the Holy Spirit and, and, and how are we supposed to experience him? And we know that throughout the scripture, it's kind of a thematic kind of summary statement here, but. The role of the Holy Spirit is essential in the life of the Christian. Yet we often neglect him to our detriment. But once we know who the Holy Spirit is, we will better understand the power he brings into our lives. Um, if we think about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Uh, Francis Chan wrote a book years ago that I thought was so appropriate. He titled, it's on the Holy Spirit, and he titled it The Forgotten God. The overlooked member of the Trinity. And in many circles, that can be true. And so I wanted to show tonight uh, through the scripture that Holy Spirit's not only a good addition, he is essential. By the way, Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. Okay? He's a person. It's God's spirit uh, that dwells within us. And so to do that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk through... Um, maybe something seems shocking to you. I want to show you a few evidences of where the Holy Spirit is actually in the Old Testament. 
Then we're going to look to the New Testament. Most people, if you say, when did the Holy Spirit come? They'd say, oh, the day of Pentecost. And what you need to realize is Holy Spirit was not plan B or plan C. The Holy Spirit's been around since the beginning of creation. Uh, and, and so what we want to see is how God has worked through the Holy Spirit, even in the Old Testament. So let's look at some of these places together. First and foremost, uh, he worked in creation. Did you know that we go all the way back, not Acts chapter 2, not Matthew chapter 28, not Psalm 51. We are talking Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 is the first time that the Spirit is mentioned. That's the second sentence, folks, right, okay? This, this, is, this is not later on. This is the second sentence of the Bible where it says this. The earth was without form and void, right? And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So there's this sense of, if you will, like uh, creation, uh, as God creates. Back in those days, the water was seen as a chaotic environment of which that you know people would go and get lost and die. It was chaotic. You couldn't tame it. And the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters right before the, the moment of creation to bring together and bring uh, substance and direction, form it and fill it uh, without uh, all things. So the Spirit is hovering over the waters, and this is what we know, that he serves as an active agent with creation. So not just a second thought here, but at creation. Next, the uh, Spirit actually gives life. If we look through the book of Genesis, we see that the Spirit gives and sustains life. So... What's very interesting when we think about the creation of as God the Spirit is hovering over the waters and brings all this what chaotic elements and brings together what we know as creation. But then deep down, he gives and sustains life. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Now you look at that and go, I don't see the Spirit in that verse. He needs to know that in the Old Testament and really the New Testament, a lot of times spirit, wind, and breath, a lot of times are even the same word that's being used. So in this, the spirit that's giving life is the breath of life. So when God puts his, you know, comes down and says he breathes the breath of life into Adam, and all of a sudden Adam's chest begins to, to, to go with air, that it's like the Spirit is actually giving him life through this. That The Spirit, the air that, that comes through to give life. But then he also sustains life because if you look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, it says, And the Lord said, My Spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. Right? So what's going to happen? There's coming a day when my Spirit, the breath that I've given him at life, is going to be taken away and he will breathe no more. It's, my spirit's not going to reside and he's not going to continue to live on this earth. So the spirit is actually part of life. Next, we understand that the spirit actually gives understanding. Uh, the spirit is uh, incredibly important to our ability to understand certain things. The Old Testament character of Joseph uh, did some pretty miraculous things, but what's beautiful is that Joseph's ability to interpret Pharaoh's dream was due <coughs> To the Spirit. You go, wait, I, once again, I thought, okay, man, the Spirit was over creation, but he really didn't start teaching people until the book of Acts. Wrong. Um, Joseph has been sold into slavery by his brothers. He has worked for Potiphar, been falsely accused by his wife, thrown into prison, uh, allows a couple of guys to interpret their dreams. They get out of jail, come back down. Pharaoh has a dream, and they go, oh, we know a kid down there who can do this. He interpreted our dreams. He probably can interpret your dreams. But look how it's mentioned in uh, Genesis 41, 38. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Even Pharaoh was saying, This guy is led by something else. I'm, I'm seeing with physical eyes this guy. But it's like God's Spirit is pumping through him and giving him understanding of which physical eyes can't do. Pharaoh had already killed a bunch of, uh, you know, leaders in his kind of cabinet and whatnot, and these religious men who were like, oh, we interpret dreams for a living. And they'd say, we, we think it's this. He's like, nope, not it. You're dead. Nope, not it. You're dead. Nope, not it. And Joseph comes out and goes, something different about him. Something different. And shouldn't that be a testimony for us as well? Mm -hmm. That in a life, everybody looks and looks and looks and looks and goes, hey, there's something different about you. What is it? Ah, well, I'm just somebody special. No, no, no. Joseph would go, it is the Spirit of God. That's the only way that I can have understanding. We also find that the Spirit equips 
Do you know that in the book of Exodus, the Spirit gives gifts to God's people to accomplish God's purposes? In Exodus chapter 35, verse number 31, we see the Spirit of God being uh, incredibly important to the building and directing of the tabernacle. Okay? Exodus 35, 31 says, He has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship. You know what he's talking about? Two guys in the Old Testament who were designers, architects, or construction workers. He says, God's Spirit's full of these guys. Oh, to preach? No, they're not preaching. Oh, God's Spirit's come upon them to teach? No, not to teach. God's Spirit's come upon them so they can sing. No, no, no. God's Spirit's come upon them because they can build stuff really well. Isn't that awesome? And you go like, what? man, uh, the Spirit only works through preaching. Apparently not, because here's what you need to know. While Moses had the Spirit as he would proclaim the Word, there ain't no place for him to proclaim it unless somebody knows how to build that tabernacle. And guess what? God's Spirit equipped those construction workers in the same way he uh, equipped Moses to do his job. And this is what I do know. Um, I, I can't say this necessarily about Moses. I don't know for sure. But most likely, if you expected me to build the sanctuary here at this church, you would not want to go in it and feel safe, okay, when you're in that room, okay? God equips me. The Spirit equips me with certain things, but there are certain things I do not have, right? And so we see the Spirit gives gifts accordingly, too. And so I, I do want to make sure everybody hears this. Um, even if you're not called to be a preacher, it does not mean the Spirit of God has not gifted you with certain gifts to use for the benefit of all God's people, right? There's certain times when you see a construction worker who knows what they're doing and, and, and finds this. Like, I think about the people who've been able to come into the, our spaces and renovate different things. They go, well, I'm not a preacher, but I go, but they've allowed us to gather together in a very unique and special way. Um, it's easy for me to think about how God's Spirit has gifted. If you've ever sat in a hospice room and watched nurses come in, I go, man, God's Spirit are over some of the just men and women who do that so well, right? God gives gifts to us to be able to do certain things to accomplish His purposes. You also find that there is a filling of sorts that comes in in that equipping aspect. We find in Numbers uh, that Moses prayed for all to be filled with the Spirit and speak as the prophets, right? This is interesting. Moses is supposed to be the spokesperson for, for uh, the nation. And so if you're the preacher, you know what you don't want? A bunch of other preachers out there. Because then they're going to be stealing the microphone from you, okay? And what happens is, in Numbers chapter 11, verse 29, But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them? He's like, I wish... I wish everybody would be in tune with the Spirit of God and be speaking on behalf of God and doing the works of God, whether they're building this or speaking that or sharing the Word with others. And I just want to see everybody. I would, I would love, and we see that in, that lived out in Joel chapter 2, verse 28 through 32, and Acts chapter 2, verse 17 through 18, which says His Spirit's going to come upon them so that they can prophesy. And then there's also an aspect of encounter. Uh, the Spirit came upon individuals to accomplish His will. Throughout the Old Testament, we're still in the law, right? It's the third book of the Bible in Numbers. Let me be honest, right? I know Numbers is not your favorite book of the Bible to go to. I get that. I understand. But in the book of Numbers, the Spirit's there working. Look what it says in Numbers chapter 24, verse 2. Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel camping tribe by tribe, and the Spirit of God came upon him. Here's this guy who doesn't want to work for God, who the Spirit just kind of takes a hold and uses them in a mighty way. We see in Numbers chapter 27, verse 18, So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the what? Spirit. And lay your hand on him. So here's someone who's obvious by his life. The Spirit of God is on him. Use him. Send him out to do the work of God. Then we look forward to deliverance. While in the Old Testament, there's a lot of deliverance that needs to take place. In the book of Judges, repeatedly, this takes place. The Spirit empowers certain judges to accomplish deliverance for the people. There's a cycle that happens in the book of Judges, if you don't know it, that uh, God's people would start to sin, right? They'd start following after other gods, and then all of a sudden, God would bring suffering along, and they'd suffer so bad that all of a sudden, they'd start praying out to God through supplication, going, we're sorry, we promise we won't do it again, and then God would bring salvation through the hand of a judge, somebody like Deborah, somebody like Ehud, somebody like Samson, flawed people that came in, and yet God's Spirit used them in a mighty ways. Look how it said in Judges chapter 3, verse 10, 
The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war. The Lord gave Cushan Rishatham, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. Here, here's this deal. The Spirit of the Lord coming upon this person who's fighting battles for the people of God. In Judges 6, 34, it says, But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet. Here, here he is, once again, Gideon, trying to do this work. Yeah, If y'all have ever studied Gideon, Gideon's a train wreck. Y'all know that? Gideon was working, uh, doing the farm work of taking care of the wheat, and it said he was doing it in a wine press. Now, does that sound normal to you? Wheat in a wine press? No, it's not. Why was he doing that? Because he was a scaredy cat, and so he would drag the wheat in there because there was a barrier wall around him, so maybe the, the enemies wouldn't see him. So he's doing the work, doing all this extra stuff so they don't see him in a wine press. And an angel of the Lord comes to him and says, Greetings, mighty man of valor. And Gideon goes, Who are you looking at? Okay, like you're looking around the room. <laughs> you got this wrong, right? And yet, Gideon will turn into what God sees in him. And how is that appropriate? Right there, the Spirit of the Lord closes him. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him and does miraculous, miraculous things. Judges chapter 11, verse 29 says, The Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah. And he pastored Gilead and Manasseh continues on. Here's this other judge that he does miraculous works. Why? Because he's a special guy? No, because the Spirit was on him. Judges chapter 13, verse 25. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. Who is the him? That's a guy named Samson. Y'all, now that, that's, a, that's a train wreck, right? Okay. And Samson was in step with the Lord and doing mighty works when the Spirit was upon him. And there were certain times where God says, you have walked away from my presence right now. And Samson's going, oh, if I could just one more time be used by you. We see also that in the Old Testament, the Spirit would come for a work of transformation. Uh, the Spirit transformed a guy named King Saul into what Scripture says, into another man. You mean he wasn't King Saul anymore? No, he's King Saul. He just wasn't the old King Saul, right? <laughs> Something changed in him. And what was it? This is a verse that I have prayed over preaching I don't know how many times. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 6 says, And the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now, obviously, it's not like Saul's ID card got changed, right? But there is something different. And I think all of us can... It's hard, and we've got to be really careful here, Okay. I'm not talking personality, right? Like, you can listen to some people who've got a vibrant personality. They can be captivating. You can want to listen to them. And there's something different when somebody's in step with the Spirit of God. And when they speak, there's just weight to it. There's power to it. And you just feel like, I know you're talking right now, but there's somebody talking through you. This is what happens to Saul. He's transformed into a different man. The Spirit comes upon him. There's also an issue of transportation in the Old Testament, which may sound a little bit unique. Did you know that the Spirit moves certain prophets to other locations? They're here one moment, and the Spirit just kind of takes them up and moves them somewhere else. Some of you are like, Spirit, can you move me to Hawaii, please? Okay, like, <laughs> let it be. So I'm ready, you know, whatever it may be. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 12, here comes Elijah, and it says, And as soon as I have gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you, and I know not where. I'm going to come looking for you, and you're going to be gone again. Like, this is something that's happening. He's literally being moved. In 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 16, and they said to him, Behold, now there are with your servants fifty strong men. Please let them go and seek your master. It may be that the Spirit of the Lord has caught him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. The Spirit of God just kind of rescued him and take, took him out of this situation that was dangerous for him. Then also in one of the most beloved places in the Old Testament, we see the Spirit's role in forgiveness. David's hope after sin was that God would not remove the Holy Spirit from him. Uh, David had just committed his sin with Bathsheba, killed Uriah, lied to the nation, confronted by Nathan the prophet, and then he wrote a song about it. <laughs> and it's Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, he says, Have mercy on me, God, according to your steadfast love. Blot out all my transgressions, for I know my sins before you. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are blameless when you judge me. Here comes King David said, I, I, I'm in trouble. And then in chapter 51, verse 11, this is what he says. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your what? 
Holy Spirit from me. Is that clear enough that the Holy Spirit's not waiting around to Acts chapter 2 and Pentecost to show up? This is early, early on in Scripture. And so with this, we find that he is coming and actually having this wonderful thing of saying, I know that my sin has separated me from God, but I want the Holy Spirit to keep me. Then we also see the sovereignty that's supposed to take place. It says that the Spirit is sovereign over us and requires no counsel. In the prophet Isaiah, it is mentioned that God is, does something with the Spirit of God that is so unique and so different. That it's not as if somehow the Spirit is a JV version of God. But He is God speaking to us. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 13, it says, Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? So you can't measure, you can't contain, you can't find this ability to measure the Spirit, to reduce Him in any type of way, and we can't even tell Him what to do because He is sovereign. And then the last word we see is the word of regeneration, okay? Regeneration. The new covenant comes about through regeneration. So what takes place is the new covenant is brought about by the Lord, uh, providing a new spirit. And one of the most um, familiar passages about the Holy Spirit, Ezekiel 36 Chapter uh, verse 26, it says, And I will give you a new heart and a new what? Spirit. Spirit I will put within you. Not outside you, not around you, but this Spirit's coming inside you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to take away what's there, what's broken and busted and stale, and I'm going to breathe life to it. Now, this is not every evidence of when the Holy Spirit is, uh, is mentioned in the Old Testament, but this may be more than you ever considered before. Hopefully it is, to think through it. And I want you to at least see these verses to realize this. The Holy Spirit was not inactive until the time of the New Testament. Holy Spirit's not waiting around that at the very end of all things and say, you know what, when Jesus shows up and then Jesus leaves, maybe I'll show up. Holy Spirit has been around since before creation and has continued to work throughout all times. Active in creation. Active in Equipping and mobilizing God's people to do God's work throughout the Old Testament. Equipping prophets to be able to speak and point to the coming Christ. And then we finally get to the New Testament. Where, as we see the Holy Spirit, obviously seems a little bit simpler. Uh, you think a little bit more. And while that's true, even before Christ comes, we see Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit involved in the affairs of what's going on. First and foremost, in the Incarnation. Okay? Mary's conception of Jesus, Scripture says, is due to the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not just simple say, oh, God gave Mary Jesus. It says the Holy Spirit did this. Uh, this. This is very important for us to see because, once again, it's not like the Holy Spirit's waiting in line for Jesus to come and then he's next. In fact, this is what's said in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the who? Holy Spirit. So man's not going to get credit for this birth. Uh, Mary has not been with Joseph as a wife is with her husband. She is pregnant, though, and who's responsible? Holy Spirit has come upon her and cre created Jesus within her womb. The life of Christ. Right there in her womb. And the Holy Spirit is given responsibility for this. We also see awareness that takes place. Um, I have down there uh, on those verses, Luke chapter 1. It's actually Luke chapter 2, my bad. Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 26. It's a guy by the name of Simeon. He's really not a very well-known um, person in the New Testament. But Simeon knew that he would see the Messiah before his death due to the Spirit's witness. Here's what it says. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Simeon, I know you're getting old. I know you've been praying for consolation. Before you die, in his prayer time, the Spirit says, you're going to see the Messiah with your own eyes. And that day in the temple when Mary and Joseph came in, they're going to, that's him. Let me hold that baby boy just for a little bit, right? Let me get my hands on him just for a little bit because this is the one we've been waiting and praying for. And the Holy Spirit told him, before you die, this is going to happen. You're going to see him. And it came to pass. We also see a manifestation that takes place. 
that the Spirit comes upon Jesus at, at his baptism in the form of a dove looking for a place to rest. Got another typo there. It's Matthew 3.16 instead of 3.15. But it's manifestation of the Spirit. Here's what I want you to see. Uh, Jesus is about to start his public ministry. And before he does that, he goes and gets baptized by John the Baptist, right? And it says in Matthew 3.16, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Okay? Now this is interesting because what you do see, um, if you continue to go on this verse here, you're going to hear the words uh, that someone, a voice from heaven speaks out and says, this is my beloved son. So who would be calling Jesus son? God the Father, right? So we got God the Father right here. Uh, we have God the Son here in Jesus, and we have God the what? Spirit, right? So a lot of times people say, well, I don't see the Trinity in the Bible. Well, you don't see the word Trinity in the Bible, but it's right there, right? Okay, you got the Father speaking, you got the Son being baptized, you got the Spirit descending, all three working, uh, acting together, but in doing different things. And this is what's interesting. So y'all just f forgive my drawing for a little bit here. But you got this dove, okay? Does that even look like a bird, sort of? Okay, there you go. All right, you got this dove that is uh, coming down, to descend, right? I mean, because it says, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. So for whatever reason, the people around go, it looks like a dove is descending and resting on Jesus, right? Kind of weird thought. Like, why? I mean, I don't want a bird landing on me. Man, I'm honest with you. Okay, that's not something I would encourage, right? But it's almost as if, like, um, you know, if... If a dove has been flying for a long time, they can go for a very, very long time. But at some point, they kind of have to rest on something, right? Got to find a safe place to rest and settle in to know this is a safe spot. Can you think of any other time in the, time in the Bible where there was a dove that was sent out looking for a place to rest? Huh. So you got this big boat, right? You got a lot of people, and, and Noah and his family, and you got a lot of animals in it. And what does he do? Sends out a dove. And he's, they're in what? They're in water. So is Jesus. Right? So the ark's in water. Jesus is in water. Spirit's going out to find if there's dry ground and a safe place to rest. And when the Spirit comes down upon Jesus, it's a safe place to rest. It's this picture of what was happening in the ark was being symbolized as Jesus is going through the water. And as he's baptized, he comes out on dry ground. And the Spirit descends on him just like a dove, just like the dove had descended on dry ground after the flood. There's something that God is doing here to make sure we're all noticing. That just like this picture, what the Spirit of God is doing is he's being sent from heaven to find places where he can land in our lives your life, my life, to be able to come settle and rest right where we are. And obviously, this is a picture of a safe place with Christ. And I also want to make sure you guys understand this because as we look through these next ones here, why is it important that it looks as if Jesus, it's not as if Jesus requires the Spirit, right? This can get a deep kind of thought process here. Did, did Jesus need the Spirit to do this? Okay. What Jesus was was an example to us to say, if you're going to go work for God, you better have the Spirit on you, okay? You better be walking in step of the Spirit. So I'm going to walk in step of the Spirit so you can follow my example. The Spirit also gave direction. Uh, all the way, if you come down to uh, throughout Scripture, we see that the Spirit prompted Jesus to enter the wilderness. The Spirit's leading. He's pointing. He's directing. He's guiding. He's, he's getting these folks to, even in, in the life of Christ, to give direction so uh, a lot of times we say this because I think it's just kind of a prayer phrase we use a whole lot. Spirit leading, God and direct. He's doing that. The prayer should be, let me be listening and willing and available and open and obedient, right? It says uh, in Mark chapter 1, verse 2, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. That's the same word we're talking about driving out a demon. It's just like sending him out, okay? Like uh, the Spirit is sending Jesus out into the wilderness, and in Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through 2, and Jesus full of the what? So Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, and was led by the what? By the Spirit. And Jesus is God in the flesh. 
Now, he doesn't require the Spirit of God like you and I would require the Spirit of God, but why is this mentioned here? Because Jesus is trying to make sure we understand something. If you want to walk anywhere, you better be led by the Spirit. You better have the Holy Spirit inside you and guiding you throughout all things. We find also the Holy Spirit is sufficiency. The Holy Spirit is said to be given without measure. This is good news. Because there's a common misconception that some people get more of the Spirit than others. And I believe that if you really look through Scripture, if the Spirit is given without measure, like John 3.34 says, you either have the Spirit or you don't have the Spirit. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without what? Measure. So that does not mean, well, you know, you're not that serious. I'm just going to give you a little bit of the Spirit. See how well you deal with it. I'll come back in a year and give you a little bit more, right? Now, this problem goes, though, but what do you do with those people who seem more Spirit-led than others? They're just more obedient to the Spirit than, than others are obedient to the Spirit, and it's evident. You can see it. But it doesn't mean that certain classes of Christians have more access to the Spirit of God. He's given without measure. This is so important for us to understand. He also gives power. Jesus actually credited the power of the Holy Spirit for casting out demons. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 28, we see that power represented when Jesus has been going through in this ministry. It says, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Why would Jesus say, I'm casting out these demons? Why would he just say, I'm doing this? Because he wanted us to follow in his footsteps and push back the forces of evil too. And if Jesus was full of the Spirit and you're full of the Spirit, there is nothing in that sense that you can come across like some kind of demonic activity. You go, well, I wish I could do something, but Jesus is not with me. The Spirit is. The Spirit's with you. So if that's where Jesus would say that the power for the ministry came from, that's where we have to look for. You also need to realize that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is mentioned. Jesus warned against blasphemy against the Holy Spirit in Matthew chapter 12, verse 31. A lot of people are very confused by that passage, rightfully so. It's kind of scary because it says that, you know, if you blaspheme against this or this or this, you're okay. But if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, no chance for you, right? Okay, I want to know what that is. Uh, because I don't, I, that, that sounds really bad. So a lot of people go, so does it mean just using the, the name Holy Spirit in a vain way, and then all of a sudden you've done that, there's sin, and you can't walk back from it? Matthew twelve thirty one says, Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the what? You're going against the Spirit will not be forgiven. What is blasphemy against the Spirit? Well, the Spirit in the Scripture is said to illuminate our, our eyes, open up our hearts to the gospel so we can receive it, right? So when I blaspheme against the Spirit, what is that but me rejecting the gospel message that can save me? That's the only sin that cannot be forgiven because you are rejecting the only thing that can save you. So when the Holy Spirit prompts me and says, do you want to follow Jesus? And I go, no, I don't. Well, that's a sin that cannot be forgiven because the only access to be forgiven is the gospel of which I'm rejecting. Does that make sense? So Holy Spirit, the, the, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is, I don't believe you are God. I don't believe you are talking to me, and I don't believe I have to follow. And against that, there will be no forgiveness. There's also empowerment. We see here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that is mentioned, Jesus told the disciples that the Holy Spirit possessed the power they needed to accomplish his mission. Jesus is ascending into heaven and sending these guys out on their own. And I'll be honest, I'm sure the angels were going, we in trouble. Look at these guys. They can't even get things together. I love Acts chapter 1, verse 8, because this is what he says. But you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, their city, all Judea, their region, Samaria, people a little bit further, not like them, and to the ends of the what? Start where you are and keep that spirit go. We're going to reach our city. We're going to reach our region. We're going to reach people who aren't like us. We're going to make it to the ends of the earth. And how do we do that? You're going to receive power. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. That's what you were needing to happen. I love that because that happens in Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 8. And as soon as Jesus ascends, the disciples are sitting there, and all they're doing is they're staring up in the sky going, so when's he coming back? You get so awkward that all of a sudden God sends some angels to come down to him and going, hey, guys. Don't keep staring at the sky. When he comes back, you'll know. What are we supposed to do? 
Well, get through his work. So they go back to the room going, you know, what do we need to do? I don't know. We've always had 12 disciples, but Judas just hung himself, so we probably need another disciple. How are we going to figure out? There's a bunch of other guys who we can choose from. I don't know. I like this guy and that guy. What should we do? They rolled the dice. Two guys. They literally, I don't know, heads it's you, tells us this other guy. All right, well, this is the 12th disciple. And if I'm, if I'm Dr. Luke writing this, I'm going to leave that out. Y'all did what? You need a 12th disciple and you roll the dice because you can't even make a simple decision? Why is that in there? You know why? Because they're waiting for Acts chapter 2. The scriptures are showing us how incapable we are of doing the simplest of tasks unless the Spirit comes. We are desperate for Him. I don't know. Maybe this guy or this guy. I don't know. Let's just, let's just roll the dice. Let's see what happens here. And they put in there to say, that's Acts chapter 1. But Acts chapter 2, something different takes place. A residence happens. The Holy Spirit filled the disciples on Pentecost. Holy Spirit filled the disciples on Pentecost. He comes up and he takes residence within these people. He filled them, equipped them, and he sent them out. Uh, By the way, this word here, Pentecost, we typically think of it as the day when the Spirit comes. But if you read Acts chapter 2, they were all coming together into the city because it was Pentecost, which means they were celebrating something before the Spirit came, right? Well, Penta, right, typically means five-something, so you're getting a little bit closer here. What were they celebrating? They were celebrating, it's a holiday called when the law came down to Moses. They cele- the, the celebration of Pentecost was when God gave us the law contained in the five books of the, the Bible, Genesis through, through Deuteronomy, right? We're celebrating that, so let's all come together. And on that day when God gave the law to the people, Moses found them in great sin, breaking those laws, right? And what took place? Moses had to kill a lot of people. You know what's interesting? He had to kill 3,000 people that day. 3,000 people were killed on the original day of Pentecost because God gave the law and they broke it. And then all of a sudden, thousands of years later, they are here at the day of Pentecost celebrating when the law came. And now instead of the law coming, the Spirit comes. And you remember what happens? There's a few people who get baptized that day. How many were they again? Interesting. When the law comes, 3,000 people die. When the Spirit comes, 3,000 people find life. On this holiday, as they're celebrating this moment of when the law came and honestly put all of us under condemnation because we could not keep it, on that holiday is when the Spirit comes down again to give life where our ability to keep the law could not do it. We find ourselves also that when it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. As we'll get into some of this stuff here in a couple weeks to talk about that aspect of it. At this juncture, the original gift of the tongues was so that all these people who had come into town could hear the gospel in their own language. So this is not somebody crash coursing on Duolingo or learning Spanish all of a sudden. It's like all of a sudden they walk out and go, huh, I'm speaking in a different language. And someone says, like, that's my language. How'd you know that? I don't know. And what's happening? Well, let me tell you about Jesus. And people are getting saved that day. So the Spirit comes in so that the gospel can go forth to a lot of languages that people cannot, but they never thought they could understand there in that place. We also find that the Spirit is a prerequisite for people in the Old Testament. Uh, deacons and overseers are said to be needed to be full of the Holy Spirit. By the way, overseers uh, in the New Testament, there's a term called overseers, elders, um, all those aspects, same kind of thing. Pastors, shepherds, those are all kind of the same thing. Two offices, there's deacons. Overseers are what we would consider as pastors or shepherds. And if you look at Acts chapter 6, verse 3, it talks about these first deacons. It says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the what? spirit. What were these guys going to do? Preach, teach? Nope, they were going to make sure that the widows got, had enough food for the people. You need the Spirit of God for that? Listen. If you've ever given a bunch of widows food, you better believe you need the Spirit of God to do that. Okay, right? No, okay, ladies, if you're ever going to do any type of service, any type of ministry, any type of thing, you need the Spirit, don't you? You need it. So even this, another deacons, they're going to need the Spirit of God. Then in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, it says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you 
overseers, elders, pastors, shepherds, the Holy Spirit. So in all these situations, they've been put there. We find the Holy Spirit is there as an indwelling. It says that Romans 8.10 tells us that the Spirit indwells all true believers. So if you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You don't need to somehow go, yeah, but I want more. Like, okay, you want to be led more, but you don't need more. He's inside you. He's indwelling you. Romans 8.10 says, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. He comes in, he dwells inside of us and gives us life. He also provides instruction for us. Paul credited the spirit with providing the powerful teaching Christians needed. Seen in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and 2 Timothy chapter 3, for God has breathed out the scriptures right. In fact, the Apostle Paul refers to the Spirit 145 times throughout his writings. 145 times. Obviously, this instruction is important. 1 Corinthians 2, 4, 5, but my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. We don't need eloquence. We don't need to be impressed by people. We need people being led by the Spirit of God and go, you may not speak as clearly as other people, but when you speak, it's as if God is speaking through you. 2 Timothy 3.16 says all Scripture is what? Breathed out. It's like God breathed into, into man to give him life. God breathes into men to be able to give the Scriptures that we have here for us. You look at the, the New Testament, the Holy Spirit was not second string during the time of the New Testament. He is out doing his work full display during out this time. Now, really quickly, I'm going to walk through this last little section here because um, a lot to go through, but I want us to walk through this. So we're in John chapter 16, and we're going to talk about what's called the paraclete, which is kind of a weird phrase. The paraclete is what uh, is the word that's written in, our script, in the original languages to talk about the Holy Spirit here in John chapter 16, verses 5 through 15. Look at these verses. But now I'm going to ask him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? Jesus is talking to disciples. Don't ask me where I'm going. Because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your what? Advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the paraclete, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So, what exactly is going on here? This is what blows my mind. But Jesus is saying that it would be better to have the Spirit inside you than God the Son walking beside you. I would think having Jesus next to me is always better. I'd be on my best behavior. I wouldn't get myself in trouble. If he was right there, if I was about to say something bad, tell a dirty joke, oh, there's Jesus, I was just about to pray. You know, like if he was there with me, and Jesus says, it's to your advantage if I leave. You guys are relying on me too much. You need the Spirit. You'll be in better shape if flesh and blood God leaves. The Spirit comes. The paraclete means that the Holy Spirit is our helper, right? So what's beautiful about it means that he is our helper. Uh, anybody here tonight feel like you need help following Jesus? I do, right? Well, where, where do we find the help? Jesus said it's through the Holy Spirit. That's who is supposed to come and help us. And as we know him to be the helper, we realize what Jesus is saying at that advantage, that having God inside us is a greater advantage than having God beside us. While I love the thought of Jesus walking beside me, the Spirit coming inside me is so much greater because when Jesus was preaching, it was always reduced or just to the location where he was at. But the Spirit comes, and guess what? Everywhere we go. Spirit goes. And so now the ministry can even go even further beyond. If you look next to verse 8, it says, And when he comes, the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when the Spirit of what? Truth comes... He's going to guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, what? He's going to speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. This is important for you to see here, because a lot of times people reduce the Spirit to, you know, God's Spirit's kind of leading me this way. The Spirit of God's telling me to do this, and I always want to go, does it align with Scripture? Because if it doesn't, that's not Spirit talking, right? So this says here, when the Spirit comes, he's the Spirit of truth. And he's going to guide you, 
and whatever he hears, he speaks. And this is important because when we speak of the Holy Spirit, we always have to realize this. The Holy Spirit will never contradict the Holy Bible. Never, ever. So the Scripture says one thing, and you hear a voice saying something else, it's not the Spirit's talking. That's the demonic talking to you, and you're listening in to the enemy's wavelengths now. So whenever you're listening to God speaking, it should be God's Holy Word, God's Holy Spirit, there speaking in unison together. And, and so what happens, though, a lot of times we go, yeah, but I, I'm okay with the Scripture, but like I need something else. I want something else. I need God to give me new revelation here. Well, if we depend on that, the Spirit to provide new truth, that implies that the old truth is insufficient. You want a new word? You're saying the old word's not enough. And I am here to tell you that old word is enough. It is sufficient. It has everything that you and I need to follow Christ. So we're not saying, Spirit of God, I need a new word. Just going, Spirit of God, teach me how to keep the old word. Like, I, I need help for obedience. I need that help. I don't need anything new because, I'll be honest with you, I'm reading through this book again this year. There's a lot of stuff I haven't gotten to yet. There's a lot of stuff in here I don't do well yet. So why do I need a new word when I haven't got the old word done? Like, the Spirit's just going to say, come on, this is where Scripture's at. Come on, let's keep going back to it. So he's not teaching us a new truth. He's teaching us the ways to keep the old truth. It says, and um, going on, it says that he will glorify me, and he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. See, the Spirit guides us in applying biblical truth to a particular situation. This is what helps me to think through about the role, because are we led by the Spirit? If the Spirit's not leading us to new truth, what is he doing? I believe the Spirit of God is leading you to apply what's in the Bible to particular situations. So when something happens and you go, what should I do? The Spirit reminds you of what God's Word says and goes, this is the place to apply it. Go step in this right now in faith. Go and speak boldly on behalf. Now's the time. And the Spirit's motivating you and animating you to do what the Scripture has already commanded you to do. It's not anything new. Spirit's not going to tell you to do something really weird just to get everybody's attention, right? The Spirit's going to say, just be faithful to what's in there, and now's the time to activate it. Go forward in this. So how do we know if the Spirit is leading? Let me go through these really quick for you because I believe that the Spirit of God is still in the business of speaking to us and to leading us, but it is never going to contradict with Scripture, but telling us how to keep it. But if you think the Spirit is leading you and yet the path contradicts the Scriptures, you are hearing the voice of the demonic. Don't ever, ever, ever say that God is telling you to do something that Scripture has forbidden. That is using God's name in vain, in an empty way. So if the Scripture says it, the Spirit is not going to change His mind on what is there. So don't let what you believe, hear, think to contradict the Scripture. Also realize this, that a lot of times, we'll unpack this a little bit later, um, there are certain things that people will do in church or in worship or in prayer or whatnot that some of you would be comfortable with some of you not be comfortable with, right? Let's be honest. You've all been around that family member of that church, and you're like, what are they doing? What is going on? Right? Like, I'm not used to that. Some of it's just you're not used to it, and you need to kind of get over it and kind of, you know, it's, it's all right. But I also know this, that sometimes people have done stuff in the name of the Holy Spirit, and it does not draw attention to Jesus. It draws attention to themselves. And you've got to be careful. Because I believe that if your spirituality causes distractions for others, you better check your motives and your practices. Spirit of God shines a light on Jesus, not you. And so if it's all about getting attention on you, there's probably something wrong here. And so as we follow the Spirit, it should not cause division or distraction. It should cause people to focus upon Jesus. So if you feel like that as you're worshiping, as you're praying, as you're living, there are certain times where you feel like God is leading you to do something. But I am asking you, do not take the free pass that you feel like can get everybody off your back when you say, I want to do this. How do I get people to stop arguing with me? You just say, well, God told me to. I sense the Spirit leading me. Oh, I'm not arguing the Spirit, right? Well, flippantly blaming the Spirit for your decisions is the sin of taking God's name in vain. Be very, very careful that you're not blaming God for what you want to do. 
invoking the name of the Spirit of God on your decisions is not God-honoring. If anything, it's breaking the third commandment. And be very careful of how you do that. And how do you know when you're saying yes to the Spirit and what not? How do you know if it's Him leading? You can often discern the leading of the Spirit by His saying no to what your flesh desires. Not always. Sometimes if you go, man, I feel like, you know, I want to do this kind of thing. And once again, if it contradicts Scripture, the Spirit's not going to lead you to indulge the flesh. The Spirit's going to lead you sometimes to deny the flesh. Flesh is what gets me in my problem all the time anyway, right? So the Spirit's going to say, oh, you want to do this? Just go for it. You be you. Live in your own truth. No, no, no. I've lived in my own truth long enough. I need, a new tr- I, need, I need God's truth to come into my life. And so sometimes it's saying no. You know, if we think about what we often want to do, I'm a pastor and I would love to see this church full upon full upon full. The churches that we get to celebrate and partner with, I'd love to see them full. But we aim to fill our churches with people, but Jesus desires to fill the people with his spirit. That's the feeling he's after. And while I love a church full, and I love people coming, and I love people wanting to be here, at the end of the day, what we want is God's spirit to fill people. More than we want our buildings full. We want people to be full of the Spirit. Know this, that as you are following the Spirit of God, as you're walking after Him, as you are trying to make sure you are in step, realize this. You don't lead the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads you. You're not saying, can you come over to this? No, the Spirit guides us. He directs us. He leads us. And we want to follow and be in step with Him. So you're not going to coax or somehow get him to change his mind on something you want to say i i i want to wake up in the morning and say spirit of god where are we going today right point me to where you want me to apply the power of your truth into certain situations if we live by the spirit let us also keep in step with the spirit i love galatians 5 25 because to be spirit led means that you stay in step with him and folks you can get out of balance really quick can you not you can get out of balance really quick. How did I get here? So, you know, like it's, it's, all it takes is just a little bit, just a little variation. Galatians 5.25 says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That's what we want above all else. And if I were to kind of land us for today before we pray, how do we reconcile what the Scripture is and what the Spirit does and how these things come together? This is how I at least classify it in my head. The Bible tells us what to do. The Spirit guides us when and how to do it. The Bible tells us what to do, what not to do. The Spirit guides us when and how to do it. Have you ever been in that moment of opportunity or decision and all of a sudden you did not ask for that Bible verse to come screaming into your conscience and it hit? Oh, where'd that come from? The Helper. Saying you don't have to go down this path. You can follow Him. It's a gift that God has given us through the Holy Spirit. As we continue to go, we want to continue to make sure we're in step with Him. And so, Spirit of God, we thank You that in Christ we are filled with You with your life-changing truth. And Lord, we want to stay in step with you and not have you neglected in our life, but to be able to walk with you, led by you every single day. Grant that to this precious church family. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.